Romans 15. You know, one of the things we can't live without is hope. It is said that humans can live 40 days without food. Never tried it. Uh, for me, about four hours. And I, I, I got I to gotta get something to eat here, right? Uh, it is also said that humans can live three days without water. Not recommended, but apparently it can be done. Eight minutes without air, but only one second without hope. Now, what brings hopelessness in a person's life? Now, some of the stuff is just normal struggles. Like in my life, I, I refer to it as daily drama. I know that there's something that's going to happen each day that is just like, oh my goodness, it's stressful, it's drama. I mean, you know how it works. Whether you got, if you have an automobile, there you go. You got a pet, okay? Kids, you know, there's all these relationship dynamics. Um, if you, you home repairs, one guy told me that his, his oven blew up, and like, what? How did that happen? Explain it, and it happens, okay? This is that's just like normal, right? That's just ordinary trials, normal struggles. But you know, really, people throughout the world they face hopelessness on a variety of things, and it's it's kind of the same. For instance. No matter where you live, you face job insecurity, health uncertainty, financial distresses, future fears, relational woes, and just general struggles. But beyond all this, then if you kind of start thinking about what's going on in the world, you see deadly diseases, incurable killer viruses, lethal pathogens, and really this could devastate human life. And then there's, of course... In our world today, like Islamic terrorists and just how potent they can be, dirty bombs, Middle East, complete unrest, Russian aggression. And then something that we don't really want to think much about is that we've had like 70 years of silence in terms of atomic weapons being used. A nuclear weapon being used would create widespread devastation. It can actually lead to a sense of hopelessness when you think about it. And then, then just individually, personally, people, people want a sense of peace. They want joy. They want hope, a, a certainty in life. But the problem is most people don't have it. You and I, we were created in God's image. We're created to know him relationally. But the reality is, is that many people, despite this huge void in their life, and it's meant to be filled with God and his presence and to enjoy God, we try to fill it with junk, stuff, money, power, possessions, entertainment. I mean, we just try to fill this void in our life and it leaves you empty and it leaves you hopeless because you don't really have hope where it's found. And then, of course, we have Christians and they come along and say, well, Jesus is the hope of the world, right? Maybe you even said that. Are you serious? Do you really believe? Is that really true? Let's just set it aside. Is it really true that Jesus is the hope of the world? How do we know? Does Jesus really bring Authentic relationship with God? Does he bring forgiveness of sins? Does he bring peace, joy, hope? Or is that just like, well, it's all nice, it sounds religious, and we'll just say it that Jesus is the hope of the world. That, friends, that is the question. Does Jesus really bring hope to the world? 
Well, if you've got your Bibles open to Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 8, today's passage answers, answers that with complete clarity. It ought to be a place that we keep coming back to because it really highlights how Jesus is the hope of the world. First thing you want to see in verse 8 is that Jesus Christ brings the fulfillment to the promises to Israel. Look at verse 8. He says, For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, speaking of the Jewish people, on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. So he's saying that Jesus, identifying with the covenant people, even circumcised, he himself fully Jewish, he has confirmed, has the idea of establishing and securing the promises that were given to Israel. Do you see that? Given to the fathers, God has in the Old Testament scriptures promised to accomplish a work through Messiah. The word means anointed one in Greek, Christos. We translate it Christ. It all history, all focuses on this one individual, the promised one. Now, we have actually several people in our church that are engaging people that practice the Jewish faith or have Jewish background, and they are engaging them in spiritual conversations. One of them is a guy that goes out to the prison twice a week. He actually leads men's groups out there, and uh, he even this week said, hey, I'm I've got this guy, he, he reads the Bible, he's, he's Jewish. What do you talk with him about? What, what, do, you, what do you share? He, he'll read anything I ask him, but what is it that you should have him rereading? What do you focus on? I said, this is what I would tell him. You focus on the messianic prophecies, the prophecies regarding the Messiah. Now, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, there are about 333 prophecies given in regards to Messiah, okay? So it's a highly specific individual, and God gives all, through his people, gives all these prophecies about specifically what to look for, who this man will be, what he will do, what he'll be like, what he'll go through. Now, when Jesus enters onto the scene about 2,000 years ago, he literally fulfills over a hundred of these prophecies. He's killed But he rises from the grave. He is resurrected. And he promises that he is coming back. And really, when you look at the Bible, the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, shows us what the return of Jesus Christ will look like. And it tells us how he fulfills the remaining prophecies, most of which talk about Jesus being the eternal king who reigns over all the earth. So, what prophecies do you focus on? Well, let me just give you a few. There's a lot, but I just selected some. First of all, we know that Messiah is going to be born of a woman, Genesis 3.15. That he's going to come from the line of Abraham, Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3 and 22.18. We know that he is going to specifically come from the tribe of Judah. So Israel had these 12 tribes. We know Messiah will come specifically from the tribe of Judah. And that he will be a Son of David, David the king, was promised in 2 Samuel 17, 12 through 13, that he will have a son, a, someone from his lineage, who will reign forever, an eternal king. Isaiah, or excuse me, uh, Micah 5, 2, said that Messiah will be born in a small town, a village, called Bethlehem. 
Here's one that really narrows it down. Isaiah 7.14 says that Messiah will be born of a virgin. Okay? That makes the prophetic doorway so narrow. You know a lot of people like that? No. Here's something interesting. The Muslims, they believe that Jesus is a prophet. But they believe, and they have, it's written, that, that Jesus was actually born of a virgin. Anytime you're engaging in a conversation with a Muslim, focus on that. And, they're, and you ask him. I remember talking to a Muslim guy, and he's like, I said, hey, how do you explain that? He goes, well, that's just one of the miracles of Jesus. It sure is. It points to the fact that he is God. You need to rethink Christianity, specifically Jesus Christ. Um, Isaiah 53 says that Messiah is going to suffer and die for our sins. He's going to bear our sins in his body. Daniel 9, verses 24 through 26, actually specifically pinpoint that this is going to take place at A.D. 33. Whoa! And then, Isaiah 53.10, Psalm 2, 7 and 8, says that this Messiah will rise from the dead. And then furthermore, when you look at like Deuteronomy 28, where God calls his people to fulfill the law, to follow the law, And he says there's blessings to do it and there's curses to disregard it. The law shows us that we can't. It shows us our sinfulness. God tells us to do something. He points it out in the law. He says this is the way to live. And we're incapable of doing it, right? And so what that shows us is we need a Savior. We need a Messiah. Very interesting. When Jesus steps forth in his ministry, and he begins at about 8030, what he says is this. Don't think... That I came to abolish the law and the prophets? No. I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. I'm going to uphold it perfectly. I'm going to explain it to you fully. I am going to do that. Now, these are all prophecies regarding Messiah. And what happens is that makes the prophetic doorway so narrow that only one person could ever walk through it. Real interesting. People like to say, well, there's all sorts of sacred writings. That is not true. The Bible is completely unique in giving all these prophecies regarding Messiah. No other religious book does anything like that to compare to the supernatural revelations and prophecies given regarding Messiah. Now, this doorway is so narrow, it's hard for us to fathom it. So there's a guy by the name of Peter Stoner, scientist in the area of mathematical probabilities. In his book, Science Speaks... He said this, if we were to take just eight of the Old Testament prophecies that Christ fulfilled, we find that the probability of that coming to pass is 1 in to 10 to the 17th power. Okay, 10 with 17 zeros. That's the probability of someone fulfilling just eight of them, like randomly. So to help us understand, and this was a classic illustration, he did all the calculations, he was to say, if you want to understand 10 to the 17th power, you, what you would need to do is you need to get a bunch of silver dollars. Like so many silver dollars that you could fill the great state of Texas two feet deep. Like every part of Texas. I mean, that's a big state, right? Every part of Texas two feet deep with silver dollars. And what we're going to do is we're going to mark just one of those silver dollars. We're going to mark it and we're going to shuffle it up really good throughout the entire state, man, everywhere. And then we are going to select someone from Texas, and all they have to do, blindfolded, 
with one selection is pick the one we've marked. And so we do. We get our delegate, and it's, and it's Bubba. Yeah, all right? And we feed Bubba brisket, man. He's got fried okra. We're giving him cobbler. He's drinking Dr. Pepper. To top it all off, we're going to have him drink some Promised Land chocolate milk. Man, is that awesome or what? Okay? I mean, Bubba is all pumped up. He is fired up, man. He is Texas epitome. And we put the blindfold on him. We spin him twice. We don't want to get him too dizzy because, after all, he's got to make the great selection, right? And Bubba puts his hand, and he travels around the state. How many of you think that Bubba is going to do it? We've got the one shot. He will pick the Mark Silver Dollar. Oh, ye of little faith. What? Don't you think that Bubba could do it? We fed him well. What is the chances of Bubba picking the right Silver Dollar? One in ten to the 17th power. So when we talk about Jesus fulfilling just eight of the prophecies, the probability of that happening is one in the 17th power. Okay, now that you're kind of thinking about numbers and zeros, the chances of someone fulfilling 48 of the prophecies, just randomly, would be 1 in 10 to the 157th power. We didn't have a PowerPoint that we could put that many zeros on. Do you get it, friends? You see it? It's like a mathematic complete improbability. It would have to be like God at work to make that happen. And that's indeed exactly what we find. Before I became a Christian, I was investigating Christianity at the University of Oregon. And I spent several years really trying to understand the gospel. Uh, Really, is Jesus really like King, Lord, God? Okay? Not one of those guys that I just believe something someone tells me. Not into like just have some nice feelings and believe in Jesus. That doesn't work for me. Is he really God? I remember when I was shown prophecies from the Old Testament scriptures. I'll give you the the Micah 5.2 that Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Did you know when that prophecy was written? That was written 700 years before it actually happened. Whoa. And another one that was extremely staggering for me was in Psalm 22, where it speaks of this one, this Messiah, who's going to be pierced in his hands and his feet. It was written by David a thousand years before Christ is crucified, and crucifixion at the time it was written wasn't even a known form of execution. That told me two things. One, this is a supernatural book. It has a divine author. And two, that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. Friends, what we see, just like the text tells us, is that Jesus Christ brings fulfillment, the fulfillment, to the promises that are given to Israel. But not only that, hey, the news keeps getting better. Look at verse 9 and following. Jesus Christ also blesses the Gentiles with mercy. He says, verse 9, for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. So he says, Christ, verse 8, is the servant to the circumcision, to the Jewish people. And he fulfills, he confirms the promises given to the fathers. Verse 8. Verse 9, he is also the one for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. Mercy. If you get the idea like, well, what happened is um, Jesus came to the Jewish people and they really didn't want Jesus to be their Messiah. So God was like, oh, man, I wasn't thinking about that. Okay, we're going we're gonna to totally change things up. Well, we'll just go to the non-Jewish people and they will believe that Jesus is Messiah and Savior. And we got to make this major game change. That's not true. That's not how it worked. You need to know that God bringing people into his kingdom through his Messiah 
has always been the plan. You and I, most of us, we don't have Jewish background. We're not like plan B, like a uh, kind of an afterthought. Always been the plan that God is going to bring about a people for his praise and he's going to do through do so through the covenants and the promises and prophecies given to Israel and yet are going to have meaning and actually become a reality for the Gentiles. It's kind of like this. Remember how the book of Romans began? Romans 1, 16 and 17. You see, it's Christ alone who meets humanity's biggest needs. And it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. What does gospel mean? Good news. For what? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone, everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, the non-Jewish person. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous one or the righteous man shall live by faith. What is humanity's greatest need? To not be hopeless, but to actually know the living God, to have our sin addressed, to have our heart filled with his presence. And that's exactly what God brings in the Messiah. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. What's death? Death is separation. When someone dies, their spirit, their soul is separated from their body. You and I, we are separated from God. It's spiritual death. What we need is spiritual life, and that's exactly what God gives us. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, free, you can't earn it, it's given by grace, is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we talk about eternal life, that only speaks of a quantity, an unending life, but it speaks of a quality of life. It's life with God, so much so that Christ literally dwells in the hearts of his people by faith. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. He gives this kind of life, spiritual life. And indeed, he's the savior of the world. And in case you do not know that, he then systematically starts giving all these Old Testament quotes where he talks exactly about that. He's going to talk from the law, the prophets, and the writings, um, which include the Psalms. He's going to give two quotes from the Psalms. And what he's going to show is that Abraham was indeed, through Abraham, are going to, he's going to be a blessing to the nations. Why? Because through his line will come Messiah. Now, God only gave covenants to Israel. Did you know that? He didn't establish any covenants with the Gentiles. But what he did is he extended mercy. And that the spiritual blessings to the Gentiles are going to come because God is merciful. Just like the text says. So let's start looking at him. He starts quoting him. Look at verse 9. For the Gen- and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. And the first one he quotes is from Psalm 1849, which is found. There's a parallel passage in 2 Samuel 22:50, where it's written. Therefore, David writes, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles and I will sing to your name. So in this case, David says, when you, God, deliver me from my enemies, specifically King Saul, who is trying to kill me and is making my life miserable and has got the army hunting me down like a dog, I want you to know that when you deliver me, I'm going to do this. I'm not only going to sing your praises in front of your people, I'm going to do so in front of the Gentiles. Just like the text says, I'm going to sing to your name. I will give praise to you. I'm going to do it among the Gentiles so that they'll know that there is a God in Israel and that he's alive. He gives another one, verse 10. In verse 10, he is quoting from Deuteronomy 32, verse 43. It's found in what is called the Song of Moses. 
what happened is Moses kind of recapped Israel's history. He also recounted some of their mistakes and their unbelief, and he warned them, don't keep doing and acting like this. Furthermore, he says that he is offering hope to those who trust in God, and furthermore, he is calling the Gentiles to rejoice with the Hebrews. Look at verse 10. Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. I mean, we're talking Moses, the guy who led the people out of Egypt. He was leading them through the desert to the promised land. And what does he say? Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. How about another one? 15.11. In, in Romans 15.11, he is actually quoting Psalm 117, verse 1, a very short psalm. And the psalmist again calls the Gentiles to sing praise to God. Look at this, verse 11. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. I mean, think about it. That had to be pretty startling for the Jewish people as they keep reading their Hebrew scriptures to find that after all, he's not just their God. Actually, he's the God of unlimited love and his grace and mercy is going to be extended to all, to even the Gentiles. In case you're unconvinced, look at verse 12 in Romans 15. Here, Paul is quoting Isaiah. See that? Quoting Moses, David, Isaiah, heavyweights in the Old Testament scriptures. And he says in verse 12, and again, Isaiah says, There shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. Here in Isaiah 11.10, he says, the root from the root of Jesse. Okay, who is one of Jesse's like most famous son? Does anybody know? Well, I heard a kid. The kids always have the right answers. What was it? There we go. Awesome. It's David. It's David comes from the line of Jesse, right? And notice what he says here. What he says is, praise the Lord, there shall come from the root of Jesse, Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. Who is this promised son? Does anybody know? It's Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. And so what we see, friends, is that the Old Testament keeps pointing to this one Jesus, not only the one who fulfills the promises to Israel, but you know what? He is the one who brings hope to the Gentiles because he's merciful. Friends, that is awesome news, isn't it? You see, when we tell people that Jesus is the hope of the world, that's just not rhetoric. That is fulfillment. He is fulfilling the promises to Israel, and he is the one who's extending mercy to the Gentiles. We are not getting what we deserve. We deserve hell, damnation. We're sinners, right? We we aren't part of God's chosen people, the Israelites. No. He's been merciful to us. And let me just tell you one other thing. We understand that Jesus is the hope of the world, not only because he brings fulfillment to the promises of Israel and he blesses the Gentiles with mercy, but look at verse 13. He builds the confidence of those who believe. This is an awesome verse. I got it marked. I got it underlined. It's just like this culmination point in this amazing book of Romans. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That word hope in verse 12, when he hits that word hope, it's like it sends him into a prayer. And that prayer is that we will be filled with hope. Isn't it cool? 
God is known as the God of hope. Do you know that? He's hope to the Jewish people. He's hope to the Gentiles. And it's, this hope isn't like a wishful thinking, kind of like how we use it, but it's a confident expectation. It's an anticipation. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. God wants his people filled with joy, peace. How does that happen? When we believe. In fact, the more that we believe that God is our hope, that he is faithful, he is a God that fulfills his promises, the more we're going to be filled with joy and peace. Little joy and peace in your life, when I find that I'm like struggling with peace or joy, I'm like, how am I doing with believing? And what fuels faith? I'll tell you what fuels faith. The Word of God. Remember last week, Romans 15, verse 4? God has given us the encouragement of the Scriptures. What does it produce? The end of the verse? That we might have hope. As you spend time in the Word, and let me encourage you, I want you to be daily in the Word. What happens is, God uses the Scripture to fill your mind with truth. And then notice what He says in verse 13. It is through this hope will abound by the power of the Holy Spirit. So God takes the Word of God and the Spirit of God, and the two work together to create hope in our life. That's how God's designed it. And He wants us abounding in hope. Did you see that? He wants us to have all joy and peace. Not just a a little bit of joy. You can be cranky like 90% of the time, but I want you to be joyful a little bit of the time. No. I want you filled with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound. You're literally overflowing with hope. And that's not something you manufacture. That comes as a result of the Spirit of God at work in your life. And so when you think of different situations that you're in, troubles and trials and difficulties, just remember that we have a God of hope. And we can abound in joy and peace as we, what? Believe upon Him. And what God intends is that we who have this hope, that we are growing in this hope, and when we do, we will be giving this hope to others. You see, growing in the hope of Christ leads to giving this hope to the world. And that's what you find at the rest, the rest of chapter 15 in Romans. He's going to start outlining where I'm going and where I'm going next. He's inviting people to be involved. Why? What's going on? Friends, when you have the hope of Christ and you are believing and growing... You can't help but to want others to experience the same thing. You have a love for humanity because we're all caught kind of the same bolt of cloth. We want them to know this hope, right? We're not trying to win people to our side. No, no, no. We want people to experience the hope that God gives. And that's only found in one, Jesus the Messiah. And really, if you want a picture of it, you just look at the book of Revelation. If you want to see why is it that God has set it up this way? Why is it all hope fixed in Jesus? What is God ultimately trying to accomplish? All you have to do is read the book, especially the final chapter in Romans, 15, in Romans, excuse me, in Revelation 7. He actually speaks and he gives us this glimpse of eternity. And you see a multitude of people coming out of the great tribulation. Let me read you Revelation 7, 9 and 10. He says, and the, after these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out. They're not like mumbling through, but they literally are crying out. They see, they have experienced with a loud voice saying this, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They see Him. They worship Him. They are elated. Why? 
because they are filled with hope and their hope has been fulfilled. But that's obviously not the reality for a lot of folks, though, is it? we got a lot of folks, we're anxious, we got pressures, right? There's a lot of people that have a lot of regret over decisions that they've made. I want to ask you this question. Are you building your life on a sure foundation? Is it solid enough for the circumstances and the trials and the difficulties that you are facing? You see, nobody ever wants a season of hard times, difficulty, and a world of turmoil, but guess what? That's reality. You know, for 2,000 years, Christians haven't gathered to say, hey, the stock market has risen. It's risen indeed, and I'm feeling really good about that. I've got more hope. We're not saying that, you know, my 401k is doing better, you know? We're not saying General Motors has risen. It has risen indeed. Yay, we got hope. Is that? No. I want you to know, friends, that on every continent, there are believers for two millennia in the face of poverty, disease, pain, hardships, and even death itself. And we say, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Our hope is in a resurrected Messiah. That is the hope. He is our hope. And the vision of fellowship is that you and I are growing deep in our relationship with Christ, like a tree sinking deep roots in Christ, drawing from the nutrients of Him and branching out and bearing fruit throughout the whole world. Why? Because growing in the hope of Christ leads us to giving this hope to the world. Let me give you just a, a few examples of how this is actually happening in our church. For about five years... We have uh, teamed up with Global Banjara Baptist Ministry International. Uh, we heard about this unreached people group in India, these Banjara Indians. Um, how do you explain them? They are outside the caste system. So they're not even like the lowest caste. They're like completely outside the caste system. Almost all of them live in total poverty. They're not educated. They're, they're neglected. They're just out there. They're unreached. And very few have even heard the gospel. Most of them have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. And so, uh, through contacts, and Willie Gomez took pictures. Uh, I went over. My card went over. We've had others go over. We uh, have a plan to adopt students. So we're involved actively in this, this school in a village, and it is thriving. Today, there's over 500 students that are going to start school next week. And it's a Christian school. And they are learning, not only getting a top-notch education, the government doesn't even send teachers out there anymore. They're just like, ah, who cares about these people? You know who cares? The Christians care. And so we were teaming up, and we're, we've helped them uh, construct a school, and our church is a major sponsor of a lot of those students. We also want to support bivocational pastors. We want to help pastors who are going to all these villages share and show and teach the love of Christ, present the gospel clearly. And we want to even train them, and we've done that at different times. And we also want to be involved in, like, meeting some medical needs. And so we've had medical camps, and we've done screenings, and we've done English camp because we want to help them grow because English, for them, is their ticket to a further education. And so I want to... Just take you to India for just a minute. And let me just uh, show you uh, this video of what God is doing in the school. And then I've got a big surprise for you. Uh, Banjara is uh, a large ethnic group. 
There are so many ethnic groups in India and one of the largest ethnic groups in India with their own culture, with their own uh, uh, language and traditions. See, in spite of all government programs and private agencies, even today, only 12% literacy rate is recorded among Banjara people. We felt like uh, education is something we can do to bring them, uh, uplift them and uh, bring the holistic development in them. And uh, they, every uh, day they learn English, maths, science, social studies and uh, languages like uh, Hindi, Telugu. So these are all mandatory subjects we need to teach. Our goal was to provide the best education that exists in the region. We, at some point, felt like someone might question whether or not it's a Christian school, and we wanted to be able to articulate that, yes, we do hold the Christian tenets, but we also provide an amazing educational option. The way the school is designed is each one of the children have the opportunity to be scholarship. If somebody could spare one dollar a day, that could make somebody's life. So when God has provided something, and it could be a great blessing to many lives here. So $30 a month. That pays for the tuition, which then goes to pay for the teacher's salaries. It pays for the electric bill of the school. It pays for the uh, lunch program. It pays for their books. It pays for two school uniforms. Um, and then for uh, a small group of children, allows them to board here. So we are inviting global partners. And uh, we are inviting brothers and sisters from all over the world to join us, join their hands with our hands so that we can see these children educated and we nurture them with the word of God and we all believe that the word of God will take its course when it is taught properly. If you want to make an eternal impact in a group, you've got to you've got to be involved for the long haul. The school needs people that are committed to lifting it up in prayer every day. We don't want people just to write us a check. And checks are great. But we want people to scholarship a student, and in their mind, when they sign up for that scholarship, think, I'm in it until that student graduates. And I'm going to pray for that student, and I'm going to talk about that student to my friends, and if the opportunity ever arises, I'm going to visit that student. So I think the school's biggest need is for people to just be there for the long, long haul. And this is a place that changes lives. And I just get a kick out of watching it happen. Well, uh, that doesn't touch your heart and move you. I'm not sure what can ha can. But uh, the special surprise is we actually have the privilege of having our contact in India, not just on a video. This Sunday, he is here. And so, Srinivas, we are so glad to have you. You want to come on up here? All right. 
This is awesome. I mean, he's from India. We got to spend some time together this week. And I, I want you to hear firsthand of what God is doing among the Banjara Indians is bringing the hope of the gospel. So, Srinivas, we're so glad to have you with us. Could you share with us for a few minutes? Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. How many of you believe in evolution theory? I started believing this month. Uh, I came here with the three needs, and uh, my fourth need evolved, uh, evolved, uh, evolved. Okay. I came with uh, three needs. There were uh, children's sponsorship and completion of classrooms and uh, support for my church planters and evangelists. But the fourth need I came up with during this trip is I am in need of new clothes because. I'm being overfed, and the clothes I brought are not fitting me well. Uh, so, you're so awesome. People in Waco, and of course, in other parts, I enjoyed the meals and food, and I'm getting used to American food a lot. Of course, I brought my spices, though. Uh, thank you, uh, Fellowship, for partnering with Banjara. I want to share few things what God is doing. God is doing wonderful things. And with your partnership and together we are able to win several souls. And uh, in the scriptures we see one person's soul is worth than the treasures of the whole world. I believe you uh, understand and uh, uh, know that. So that soul value of one person is more than the whole world's value or the treasure. And uh, we were able to see in last five years, by God's grace, we witnessed 965 baptisms from Banjara community, which brings me a great encouragement. Many years ago, I was only the believer from my community, and uh, I was kicked out uh, of the village, and I was expelled from the family. But today, I'm so humbled to see so many hundreds of people coming to the Lord. And uh, it's not me alone. So it's a uh, teamwork. Thank you for being uh, the prayer warriors, and uh, every penny you gave through fellowship, through the school project, it's a uh, winning souls. And uh, the Bible also says, the wisest wisest person, the wise men, win souls. So we, we might have so many other things to do, but the best thing to invest in is soul winning. Very briefly, I want to share you a true story. A lady in Hyderabad uh, prayed to God that asking God, saying, Lord, send one young man to me so that I can share the gospel and lead him to the saving knowledge. And uh, I want him to see uh, as a minister, as a pastor. And she kept praying, she kept praying, she kept praying. And uh, one day, one young man appeared at the door of her house, and she accepted that boy, and she introduced Jesus to him. And God used that young man to reach so many villages and was instrumental in leading several thousands of believers and adding to the kingdom. 
and that young man stands before you today. So one person, one person being saved could become a great investment and influence to the world. So when you pick a child, when you pray for a church planter, please, we want you to be our partners in this ministry. And we are not alone. And it's the uh, family of God. And I always thrilled to come to fellowship because my best friends and beloveds I see here. And uh, I know, uh, I mean that from bottom of my heart. And thank you so much for having me. And uh, thank you all. I'm trying to be a little bit Texan. So uh, thank you so much. And if I have one more minute, I want to share uh, one uh, thing where God is doing. We had been going through lots of uh, uh, opposition in the country. And with the new prime minister's election, some of you, I believe, understand he was a very active Hindu militant group leader. We don't, I mean, they don't call themselves as militants, but uh, they are not any different from Islamic terrorists and this Hindu uh, militant group. They call RSS. And the present prime minister was a leader of them. So after him being elected, uh, we are facing more, uh, I mean, uh, restricted in uh, the freedom of sharing the gospel and worship and several other things. But in spite of all this, God is working miraculously and encouraging. In uh, one pastor's life, in one of uh, the 29 men I have, one was really suffering a lot last year, was persecuted. And uh, one man, uh, his wife secretly attending the church. And uh, in 2013 Christmas service, she attended the service and he found her there. But not only found his wife there, but he saw a big crowd of 300 people worshipping and having the Christmas service from Banjara people. Because that was the RSS, is uh, the uh, Hindu fundamental group, and uh, they are very strong in that area. They beaten and kicked out several evangelists before this incident. And uh, our pastor took several years to take stand over there. But uh, from then, he started mobilizing opposition and lots of things went against the pastor and they kept threatening him even to kill if he did not leave the town. But by God's grace, uh, he took courage and he stayed there. He continued. Of course, the tense is still there. But uh, the coolest part is the very man who mobilized our opposition and uh, uh, who created all the threat and this is now attending the service. And uh, he is worshiping the Lord. And our prayer is very soon he comes to the obedience. I mean, obeys God in baptism. So... God is doing wonderful things, and thank you once again. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you so much. I'll tell you what, this, this guy is like the Apostle Paul of the Banjara Indians. 
And I want to make sure that you have an opportunity to talk with him and to say hi to him at the end of the service. And let's keep praying because God is at work. So we'd like to pray for you right now. Can we do that? Lord, it is such a privilege to have Srinivas with us. And to hear the stories of how you are working in a people that is persecuted and, and among believers who are striving to share and show the gospel in a hostile environment. God, would you protect them? Would you encourage them? And would the strength of hope, hope in Christ, continue to flourish? We want to thank you for Srinivas, just the amazing ways you continue to bear fruit in his life. Thank you for the humility that he has, for the total dependency upon his son. Would you pray, protect for him and his family? We commit them to your care for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.